A great place for us to land is just in Scripture in the third chapter of the book of Philippians, verse 10. I think kids are going to slip out of the room. I, um, I, would, I would just, as they're kind of sliding out, say, if you're a guest or if you've been attending here for a long tenure, um, either one of those brackets, um, I am praying unceasingly that the centerpiece of the story of what God is writing into the heart of Mandarin is the name of Jesus. And the character and who we are and what we're about is to amplify the name of Jesus. And that uh, what we are known for is the body of believers who are moving in this world with one name and one renown and one declaration of our soul. And it is Jesus is enough. He moves mountains. He is faithful. And He will do it again. And so I am praying for each one of us recognizing fully the weight and the the different circumstantial situations that we brought into the room this morning. Some of us bringing extraordinary hurts. Some of us bringing great mystery, some of us bringing in extremely beautiful and glorious highs of what God is doing in our life, wherever and whatever your circumstance. I am praying for us as a body of believers to have open hands, open mouths, and open hearts to say, Lord, you are faithful and true. You have moved mountains in the past. You have parted waters in the past. Oh, Lord God, do it again for the sake of your glory. I'm praying across this room that we're in far over our heads. And so if you didn't identify with any any moment as we were singing that song, that you would move into much deeper waters with the Spirit of God so that you would be having and forced to cry out before Him, Oh God, You move mountains, You part waters, and I'm walking shallow, so take me somewhere deep so I have got to cry out for You. Do it again, Lord. That's my prayer over us as a church and a prayer for my own heart because I have seen our Lord move mountains in lives. And if you've been in group this morning, I have seen Him crack open graves of His own Son and I have seen Him crack open the grave of my own heart and I have sat with multitudes as He have opened the grave of their heart, lifted them out and set them on the solid rock of His empty tomb and said, here is life. Do it again, Lord. We believe you can. Here. We believe you can. And help the unbelief of this room. Holy Spirit. Move among us. We spent, um, as our staff team, a week, and I want to read chapter 3, verse 10, and then illustrate and, and ask you four questions today, or actually give you four thoughts today. My goal, Paul said, is to know Jesus. And so if you could return to the statement I made a few moments ago, if we could be known for one thing as a body of believers and as individuals walking about this earth, it would be our one thing is Jesus. Paul kind of writes and says, here's the target of my life. My goal is to know Jesus. The power of His resurrection. The fellowship of His sufferings. If I could be conformed to Him in His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. That is my goal. 
It's the target of my life. And therefore, backing up, I want to know Jesus. All other things are done compared to the privilege and knowledge of, of Christ. And so that's where Paul landed. We, we spent a few days with, um, as a staff team this week in Atlanta, Georgia. Nobody is from Atlanta. So, um, we spent a few days in Atlanta. Uh, and I, I just, uh, we were with several people and the cogency of their message was powerful. The last time I saw a particular girl, her name is Katie. I'll try to help cue some of the names. She's the girl surrounded by tons of people with, um, dark faces. And, uh, I think there are pictures on this for the screen. And so the last time I saw Katie was a decade ago at the same event in Atlanta. She was 19 years old. And she had said, I um, am forsaking America. I am heading to Uganda. I am going to spend the rest of my life there. Uh, and um, in the last uh, decade, she has adopted 14 children. Um, she has seen one of those children leave her family, not by death, but by circumstances of that country, which was essentially a death to her heart and yet a restoration of a family. She has um, gotten married. She's had a biological child named Noah, a great promise. And uh, she has uh, launched so many ministries that I can't begin to name them with thousands upon thousands being touched. And, uh, and I, I would say this before I share her sentence with us that just moved me. And as a do it again sentence is, this would be my prayer. I don't know how you're praying as parents. But it's my prayer that um, five 19-year-olds walk into my den and say, we're gone. The gospel of Jesus is more. And so we're getting on a plane. Goodbye. I don't know how you pray for the kids of this church, but I pray for our student ministry. I pray that Matt leads them this way. I pray that a group of our students that are gathered in this room right now collectively have a typical conversation as they walk through high school years like, where are you going for the sake of the gospel? I, I don't know how, and I won't go there. I, I was going to go off on another church that does this really well, that's, you know, not even founded in Jesus. I'm going, I, but how is this not normal in the kingdom of Christ if the goal of our life is to know Him and to part waters and see Him part waters for the sake of His glory? How would it not be normative for every one of our students who are falling madly in love with Jesus to say, we're carrying the gospel in our soul and how can we store it there? Let's go and tell. So I'm just students. Could it just be normal that high schoolers are talking to middle schoolers about the passion of their heart? And it is not the latest social networking capacity, but the conversation, almost phones almost go away when we gather because we're so impassioned to talk about the movement of Christ in our current status, in our schools, and how he's moving us to these nations. That's my prayer. So that was a sidebar, not in my notes. And then uh, 10 years later, she just said this sentence. She said, I went in with this like idea of catalytic joy and hope. And here's what Katie said to us. She says, the only courageous thing that we do if we want Philippians 3.10 to come alive is the only courageous thing we do is surrender to Jesus. That is the only thing that we do. And as I say, I'm praying 
for a group of 19-year-olds from Mandarin to make it normative. I am praying for a student ministry, and I'm praying for their moms and dads to lead the way, and I'm praying for their grandparents to show their moms and dads how to do this so that the kids can do this. I'm praying for a group of body of believers in this church that are fundamentally surrendered to Jesus Christ. Yes. And she said, I, the only courageous thing I do, it, it didn't start out that way, and it wasn't any haughtiness that started us. What I've learned in the last decade, she's 29 now, is to surrender. God is our great reward. That's what Paul's saying in Philippians 3. That would be neat if that kind of was how it started off, but every person we talked to was sharing the same message. Um, there was a guy that you would love to meet. I didn't put his picture. He's, he's just part of preemptive love. Um, this, this guy on, uh, in October or November of 2001 um, moved his family into the heart of Iraq because he knew that there were responses that were probably proper that would come as a result of 9-11. But um, he also knew that someone needed to move their family into the heart of Iraq to be able to share the gospel story. So for the last 16 years, he's lived with his family in Fallujah along with other parts of Syria and Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, just kind of sharing the gospel. And I'm just going, this is stinking awesome and and uh, amazing and he just really hit us for an hour over what he was doing and his he just said the only goal of my heart is not to do something incredulous it is to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ and here's where he said when the world is terrifying we double down and we are the people who love anyway because the love of Christ is born in our hearts. That is a great message that doesn't apply because you can't apply most likely in your personal setting to heading over to Fallujah tomorrow or this afternoon. But what I think is when the world is going nuts around us, here's where we double down as the body of Christ. We offload and get off of the train of social network and being right and we get on the train of being about Jesus Christ and loving people, and maybe sitting down with people and saying, let's share stories with one another, and let's understand where we're coming from with one another, and let's lead with love. Let's lead with grace. And we've got a lot of energy expended as followers of Jesus, and a lot of energy expended in this world at being right and missing the love of God in Christ. It was just a thought. And then, um, not, this guy was intense too, by the way. He was very prophetic. If he was going to have a gift, I would say it's a gift. He was super intense. I kind of liked him because I, I'd want to be more like happy-go-lucky, but he was so like, just, he would cut your, with a knife, like, how could we not go? You know, how do we, what do you mean risk? I, I put my children in the midst of this because my children are there for the gospel. He was just hitting us hard. And then the, the next speaker was like listening to Buddy the Elf share a sermon. Bob Goff stands up and he says the exact same message, but if you ever met Bob Goff, you love does. And Bob Goff is like laughing so loudly. He was driving a golf cart all around. He's full of joy. He's effervescent. He's absolutely whimsical. Everything in his life is whimsical except his passion for the gospel. And so Bob Goff is in there. He's like, his laugh is like, ha, ha, ha. I mean, that's no exaggeration. He laughs like that every 30 seconds as he shares a story of the gospel presentation being made. It was very, very powerful. But what he said is um, is powerful. He said, you and I can't love Jesus and avoid the people that he made. It's not possible. 
So there's this thread that's running through. Like the only thing we can do is surrender in humility before God and in humility before others and in humility recognize we we can't not love the people he made. And that means the teachings of Jesus become extraordinarily real when we say, I want to know you, Lord, and I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. Let's write a song about that. And I want to somehow gain eternal life through you, Jesus, but I really don't want to have to put up with them. That's our song. And they're going, look, how do we not love the people that God made? So that's where your staff has been. And then this lady named Christine, she's ridiculous. Christine has started a ministry called A21. I don't even know if I put her picture up. I have, yes, there it is. She started a, thousands um, of, of, in 12 different nations, primarily nations that are trafficking girls and women like crazy, literally because of their ministry about, um, I don't know, I remember how long ago, about a decade ago, maybe a little more. Uh, she's, uh, she said, you know, thousands have been rescued, hundreds have been imprisoned who were trafficking girls, children, women, men. And she says, here's the, but here's the only thing I would say to you, unite ourselves around Jesus and in the love for his word, and with a heart for his bride, and then we will move forward with the power of the gospel of Jesus. The cogent message that we received, and I could continue to tell stories, because there's stories of similar quality in this room, we want to come with hands open saying, God, do this again, use us again, and the only capacity to have that heart is to surrender to Jesus and surrender to love the people that he loved, and in loving the people that he loved, to go and speak and tell and engage this world. And so the call of the church is not, let's gather up and sing some songs and hope that the band gets it right. The call of the church is to come, fillet our hearts before Jesus, allow him to circumcise our hearts so that nothing left is beating in our heart in, the, in about a half hour when we let out of here, except the name of Jesus, and then walk into this world with the heart beating for the name of Jesus. And carry that. And moving all the way back, the only way that happens is to say, the goal of my life is to know experientially Jesus Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know as I talk about this suffering that it might compel me to uproot and move my family to another part of Jacksonville. It might compel me to uproot and move my family to another part of this nation where the gospel is not central. It might compel me to move my family and take my skills and abilities to another part of the world where the gospel is not central. But here's where I know about him. In knowing him and the power of his resurrection, he will ask me to join him in fellowship with his sufferings. And in the midst of his sufferings, I'll find joy. And I'll find this joy of the bearing that cross. It will be the greatest joy that is set before me. I will carry that with diligence, with passion, and with heart. And then somehow, out of walking that out, the grace of Christ will continuously redeem my heart, restore my soul, and I will gain resurrection eternally with God. Praise Jesus. That's a good goal. And so... Um, Here's, here's some thoughts that I shared last week. In our intentional loss, we gain a far greater and more eternal, glorious good in Jesus. And I, I shared, um, I shared, if you weren't here last weekend, uh, just an elongated story about both Paul and John the Baptist. And John the Baptist ending with a declaration in John 3.30. Um, that is a declaration of our heart. If, if we're going to be a people who say, do it again, Lord. 
And, and here, I want to like tease out the theology of that song. I don't want you to do the same thing you did in 1978 again. I want you to, here, here, I want you to do again what you do. You are God. And so what I want is for you to move and draw men and women and children to yourself. Here's what I think, I think a lot of us in this church, I, I am, I think a lot of us in this church or in the church in general, what we're saying when we say do it again, Lord, is do what you did in the past where I was okay or where it was really a move of God. And what I want to say to the Lord is, God, I want a fresh, beautiful, powerful move of the living God. Do it again. God, I want you to do something that we've never seen before because at that point we'd never seen a mountain move. You did that. At that point we'd never seen a water part. You did that. So what are you going to do again that we've never seen but that leaves people only with this wonder? We are breathless before Christ. Do that again, Jesus. Move in a power and spirit again, Jesus. And here's how. I must decrease. And Jesus, you must increase. And John, to John, this wasn't a, a suggestion. You should, you should get smaller. He wasn't throwing this out as a hot idea of the day or a preaching device for him. What he was saying is this. This is a determination. John teaches, and I put this note on the screen, he teaches us of a focused determination and a calculated purpose and passion. What John is saying is the same thing that Paul said, and ultimately what Jesus said when he said, I can do nothing by myself, I only do what I see the Father doing. For what the Father does, the Son does also. He was coming with open hands saying, with humility, I want to move with Christ. And with humility, I want to become smaller. And I'm not, I'm not going to take this as a good idea. I'm going to take this as a determination and a calculated, calculated meaning I have thought this through. I am extraordinarily intentional. I am moving forward with conviction, with passion, and with purpose. Oh Lord, teach me to get smaller so that you become much more great and glorious. It's not a suggestion. When Paul says, and I, I, I still don't know that I fully appreciate this, but when Paul says he counts all things lost or as rubbish up in verse, um, verse, I marked up so much I can't see what verse it is, but I think it's verse eight or nine. When he says, I count this all dung so that I could gain Jesus. I, I don't think he's saying that he doesn't think there's value or no he's saying that these things are not on my mind at all and if you were here when Matt was preaching he's saying look my heritage not not valued anymore for me my lineage not where I put my most worth my degree and path and who discipled me um, not in the Jesus New Testament church word but in this pharisaical or not who um, led me to my religious beliefs uh, that that's not where my foundation is what I want you to tell you my foundation is in Christ and so all of those former gains I see them as one pile of dung over here and who in their right mind sits and savors and bodaciously speaks of their dung And he's looking, going, look, I know that the world has defined all of this as precedence and importance and and gaining infinity, but I I really want to sing the song or maybe I want to hear the message that um, S.M. Lockridge preached. When you stack up the pole of who Jesus is, what is that? Your answer would be, that's that's dung. 
When I start hearing that, that name of Jesus, you're, are you kidding me? When am I ever going to speak about myself? I'm going to speak Christ. I'm going to speak Christ crucified. I'm going to speak Christ resurrected. I'm going to speak the redemptive work of Christ. I am going to value and highlight Jesus. Why in this world would I tell you any achievement that I had gained when I can brag about Jesus? That was worthy of right now. It just struck me. Why in the world would I speak of any gain? Who in their right mind brags about dung? I wrote this sentence. What normal person spends himself dreaming of manure? And I can speak in my experiences with church life, a lot of us. And that's... That's why I want... I have a lot of thoughts, and sometimes Susan and I have a friend that was our next-door neighbor. Not everything that's true needs to be said, Pastor. And I have thoughts run through my Just know that, like when I'm preaching, I have a lot more thoughts than I share. That's hard to believe, because I talk a lot. But uh, Mitch Buckaloo, you should thank Mitch Buckaloo for the moment right now. Not everything that you're thinking should be shared. And in, in focused determination, we gain every single thing that matters. Anybody, this is dating me now and I love it, but anybody remember the Jinsu knife? I was, I actually, there it is. For the, for all the ones under, you know, 50 in the room, it's, it was amazing. It was the relentless commercial of the 70s and 80s. It never stopped. I went back and watched this 1977 commercial. And, uh, and it was two minutes and two seconds. I don't know how you allocated time back in those days, but the Jinsu knife. I mean, they would introduce the knife. This one, I mean, in two years, it went from being, this one was 1995. The commercial I watched for only 1995. You too gained the Jinsu knife. I mean, it was, here's, I mean, it was like the Superman of knives. Here's what I mean by that. Like this Jinsu knife, it will cut through bread. I, I can't even do Superman right now. I can't even think of it. I'm so lost at other things. But it will cut through bread like jumping, you know, like a locomotive. That doesn't work. Um, as a Jinsu knife, like it cuts through bread. It chops woods. It, it, then they had, remember the can? It will saw through a can. After it sawed through the can, it was like mandals. It would chop wood with this thing. And then, you know, how much would you pay for that? That was the running question. If you watch two minutes and two seconds. Look this up today. You too. Don't do it right now. It's going to get the good stuff in a minute. But in the Jensen knife, it's like, but wait. There was always a statement, but wait. You too not only get this Jensu knife for 1995, but wait. You have a fork to go with it. <laughs> and I mean, it would carry on like this. It went on and on. You get the, and it would describe the fork. And then, but wait. A six-in-one kitchen tool. Cut, grate, decorate your stinking vegetables with this Jensu knife. All for only $19.95. And if that's not enough, isn't that exciting? But wait, six precision steak knives come with this sucker. But wait, that's not it. I mean, it never ends. It's like two minutes and two seconds. Are you kidding me? The spiral slicer to garnish your dinner table was the culmination of this whole thing. It was incredible. 
And I feel like when we're going through this service, I think we lose, lose sight as Christians of the joy of what Paul is saying to us in this, this goal of walking with God in, in this, this joy that we have with Him in focused determination. You and I gain everything that matters for today and through eternity. And that's who we are. And I just read through Paul and he says, look, I want you to know this, by the way, this, this Ginsu, Ginsu knife, it's guaranteed for 50 years. It's coming right up on this lifespan right now. Like I'm 51. Mom, that's set. I don't know how it's going to go for you in the future, but it's right at the end. And it's guaranteed for 50 years, all for $9.95 in my commercial, for heaven's sake. I mean, here's, here's what Paul says, and, and I don't want this to be trivialized and lost in the, you know, Ginsu knives, but I, he says, you've gained a righteousness that is not your own, a righteousness that is forged in the faith of Jesus Christ. And that is beautiful. That is a righteousness of God that is based on faith. But wait! This righteousness moves deeply in your core and out of that you were made holy and blameless in love before Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. It's like, it's like S.M. Lockridge should have been saying all through. But wait, there's more. You were robed in righteousness in this, you were prior to that robed in, robed in temporal nobility in which you boasted loudly and it was worthless. But wait, here's what Christ did for you. He had been robed you with the righteousness of Christ for his glory. But wait. It never stops. Unlike the commercial, it doesn't end at two minutes and two seconds. You and I will be celebrating these truths eternally in Jesus. In His will, you and I were made sons and daughters of God. He has welcomed us into His family and He says in Scripture, it was His good pleasure. It's like He wrote the Chick-fil-A mantra. In Jesus, I am redeemed by his blood, fully forgiven. I was broken, dead, disobedient, and carrying out temporal and dung-filled desires. But wait, there was this love for us, and he made us alive in Jesus. If you were in our groups, I was sitting in our group talking about the resurrection this morning, thinking nothing happens in my life except through the viewpoint of the resurrection. Not only was Jesus made alive, but you and I who have embraced the story of Christ, we were made alive with Christ. That is a butt weight jubilation moment in this room. That he made us alive with Christ. And he brought us and seated us in the heavenly realms. Listen to this. He raised me up and seated me in him. The purpose was not for me to boast in anyone but Jesus. His immeasurable riches, his glorious nobility. What beautiful kindness of God in Christ. And all of this, by the way, is guaranteed. We have been marked by the Spirit of the living God and there is zero timeline on that guarantee. I am sealed in Him and I am seated in the heavenlies. If I could just end here and, oh wow, I'm not ending where I wanted, but I'm ending in the right spot. If I could just end here, 
Robert Maydu is a guy who travels the world speaking, and he just said a very simple thing. And he said, if you and I could nail this down, and, 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 and I'm, I've covered a lot more territory than he covered, but um, I think if we could nail down these truths, that I'm, I'm made righteous in Christ. I have been resurrected in Christ. I am a whole new creation in Christ. I want to quote the, the three things that he said and then tie this all the way back to the beginning of the message. 19-year-olds in this church will graduate high school and begin to ask questions about how they advance Jesus because of their first stage of freedom when they begin to recognize right now as a two-year-old in our preschool department and when their grandparents begin to recognize this as a 75-year-old and as their mom and dad recognize this truth as a 40-year-old and it is pouring and pouring and pouring through the heart and life of this church. He said, if we would wake up every morning and understand this, that we are loved by God, that we are a child of the King and that God is pleased with me. If our, if our kids would wake up and understand that the pleasure of the heart of God is because we are loved by Him and we have returned and reciprocated that love with our hearts and our souls in complete submission to Him. I'm loved by God and what, what response biblically do we have to respond to perfect love except in love? I'm loved by God. I am a child of God. And my God is pleased with me. There would be a lot less concern about whether we were liked in certain arenas that we look into if we understood that we are pleased in the sight of God. We are pleasing in the sight of God. Can we drill that into the hearts of everyone in this room? And can we pour that into the hearts of our children? You are loved by God. Jesus is sufficient You are a child of His. And He, the living God, is pleased with you. The rest, the places that you are seeking to gain your definition, your temporal pleasures, your admonitions that you are good or right, it is dung. And what gain could you have in your latest story than this. I am loved by God. He is my heavenly Father. I am a son or a daughter of God. And listen, He is pleased with me. And everything in my heart wants to say, but wait, there's a thousand more things that you gain in Christ. And we could stay here through the afternoon and have a night of worship if we just started listing who we are in Christ. But let's just keep it there. You're loved by God. Do you know this? You are a child of His. He has adopted you by grace in glory for His name. And he's pleased. I know that this life doesn't send you messages that you are always pleasing, but I want to tell you that when you wrap your heart around the reality that your creator is pleased with you because of the work of his son and the power of his life in you, 
It is earth-shattering. And it is eternity-awakening. Yes. Amen. Praise you, Lord. It's the beginning where I am. There's a lot of stories I experienced this weekend. They all started in surrender and belief. There's a story written by Paul. My goal? I want to know that he knows me. I want to know that I am a child of his. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know and not be surprised in my sufferings, but to know that as his child, he is with me. I want to be conformed in his death and assuming in some way that I will reach the resurrection from among the dead. I'm loved by God. I'm his child. And I will be raised to new life. And I am raised now because he is pleased with me. Could we speak that through this church? Amen. Jesus, I praise you for the song we're about to sing. I continue to believe that you move mountains and you part seas. Do it again. And so, Lord, we come to you in this song with hearts opened to your grace and your glory. God, I pray for those in this room who come in with deep and legitimate questions. Speak life and direct toward truth and way in this moment as we close this service. God, we gather at your table as a people who don't bring our confidence in ourselves, but oh God, we are confident of this, that you have begun a work in us, in our church, in our families. Complete it, Lord, for the sake of your glory, for your name's sake. Do it again, Lord. Move again, Lord. Lord, steep us in this truth that we are your sons and daughters. We are loved by you. And you cherish us. We're we're pleasing to you, Lord, and that's such good news. As we close this service, I pray that you would find a holy rest that you did not have when you walked in this room or a deeper rest in Jesus that is not in your heart as you walked in. I pray that the scripture and the truth of who Jesus is just opens your heart. Some of our pastors are here at the front. We do not believe that there is a mediator with, with skin, there's a man with between God and men. That is Jesus Christ himself. We do believe, however, that at times it's just good to hear your name lifted to the Father by someone. So some of our pastors are here. If if you would like to pray with someone, we're here. We have an altar that is open just to simply come. I I have no doubt in my mind that there are those of us in this room who have lost sight and begin 
to have heart failure in their belief that Jesus, you could do this again. You could move again. And I am praying for an altar to just fill with people who are agonizing in prayer for Jesus to move again. For Jesus to move again. Where only He gains glory. So as we sing, I pray that there are hearts moved, minds moved, bodies moving, Jesus moving. As we close this service, but most importantly, open ourselves to Him. Jesus, there is no greater good than submission of hearts and wills across this room to your great good and glory. Meet us in this time of worship for your name's sake. Would you stand and worship with me and respond as the Holy 